Hello and welcome to the World in 30-ish Minutes, the European Council on Foreign Relations podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world. My name is Mark Leonard. I am Director of the European Council on Foreign Relations and I'm joined today for a podcast on Turkey's upcoming parliamentary elections by two experts. First up is Sinan Ugen, who is the head of the Istanbul based EDAM think tank and is also a visiting scholar at Carnegie Europe in Brussels. He's an expert on both Turkish foreign and domestic policy and worked for a long time in the Turkish Foreign Service and he's joining us down the line from Istanbul. Secondly, um, we have Vesela Chenova, who's the head of ECFR's Wider Europe Programme, Senior Policy Fellow at ECFR, who has just come back from Turkey this morning as well, I think, and now joins us from, from Bulgaria. So, We know that on Sunday, the 7th of June, Turkey is going to go to the polls and elect a new parliament. And we have heard a lot about these elections because this does seem to be a pivotal moment for the country's future. The election outcome is both going to be decisive for the future of Turkey's political system, the fate of the Kurdish peace process. But also, unlike many elections in Turkey, the result is very unpredictable. There are all sorts of rumours about what's going to happen, people predicting that um, we could see a massive centralisation of power on the one hand, or uh, a coalition government on the other. And Turkey is also, as well as going through this big existential debate about what kind of country it's going to have, what sort of political system it has, is at the intersection of many of the most turbulent geopolitical stories of our age as well. And for the first time in a while as well, the domestic politics is intertwined with some of these bigger regional issues. So hopefully we can look both at what's going to happen in the elections and what it means for Turkey, but also explore what this will mean for for Turkish foreign policy and for for the European Union as one of uh, Turkey's neighbours and partners and uh, maybe I can go to you first, Sinan, uh, to give us a sense of, of, of what you think is at stake and what's likely to happen on Sunday, first of all. Uh, thank you, Mark. I think you've uh, very much laid out what the principal issues are. Um, this is an election uh, which uh, is going to be, or is already very difficult to predict. Uh, much unlike the uh, last few general elections, which were essentially a boring affair in the sense that we knew uh, well in advance who was going to win, what sort of government was going to emerge, and so on. This time around, the only certainty really is that the ruling uh, AK party uh, is uh, again going to win these elections, uh, but we don't know whether they will be able to set up a single party government as they have done in previous years or whether we'll end up in a coalition setting, or at the other extreme, whether on the contrary, uh, the ruling party will get even more seats in parliament and establish uh, and win even a supermajority. And the implications of each of these scenarios uh, are obviously very different, both for the domestic political landscape uh, and obviously also for Turkish uh, priorities in relation to its foreign policy. Uh, One thing uh, that will be clarified uh, after these elections is the fate of uh, Erdogan, President Erdogan's aspirations to transition towards a presidential system. 
uh, he has been campaigning for this uh, and uh, he has been asking uh, popular support uh, for his presidential ambitions. And uh, the electoral outcome will pretty much determine uh, whether he will be able to uh, move forward with these ambitions, which would essentially require uh, the ruling Egg Party to receive at least the uh, referendum threshold, which is three-fifths of parliament, so 60% uh, of the seats. Um, uh, because if that is the only way that uh, we, that the uh, ruling Ak party can have, uh, a, can start to work on a new constitution that embodies the presidential system, uh, given that uh, outside the ruling party, there is uh, almost no support for this type of uh, change in the constitution. Uh, the second uh, major uh, team uh, that will uh, be uh, that will be part of that will be um, settled with these elections is basically the fate of the uh, Kurdish settlement talks. Uh, Turkey's intractable uh, Kurdish problem has, in the past two years, uh, was being started. Uh, to uh, be uh, to be addressed by a uh, negotiation that was set afoot by the government and the Kurdish political movement. Uh, right now, that's been suspended because of the electoral mood. However, uh, depending on the outcome of these elections, uh, it can either collapse or uh, the negotiations can be renewed uh, and hopefully lead to a settlement. Uh, the chances of a settlement will uh, certainly be much improved if the Kurdish political uh, representation uh, headed by the uh, HDP party can, for the first time in its history, clear the 10% threshold uh, as a party uh, and win uh, between 50 and 60 seats in parliament. Uh, then they would be uh, a stronger interlocutor uh, for the government and they could participate in this uh, very difficult settlement process uh, as a, a partner uh, within Turkey's parliament. Uh, the other scenario where they fail to clear the 10% threshold is actually quite a unstable scenario for the future of Turkey, but also the Kurdish question, as that's a scenario that uh, could indeed lead uh, the Kurdish political movement uh, to uh, to start uh, demonstrating its frustration with the Turkish political system and impose uh, its own agenda unilaterally in the southeast, leading to tension uh, and possibly uh, measure, countermeasures by the government. So, uh, in order to avoid that, uh, there has been uh, really uh, a, a degree of support for the Kurdish political movement which is now pulling at exactly around 10%, so still within the statistical margin of error. Uh, but nonetheless, for the first time, uh, in, a, in a real uh, position to overcome that threshold. And finally, uh, the elections will also determine uh, the future of uh, the uh, very difficult relationship between the presidency and the executive where you have a president that's been asking for more uh, concentration of power uh, and obviously a transition towards a presidential system uh, would enable uh, Erdogan to achieve exactly that. Uh, but alternative scenarios uh, where you know the AKP does not reach the constitutional majority 
are essentially scenarios that would, on the contrary, empower the executive to the detriment of President Erdogan, uh, given that the Turkish constitution as it stands uh, gives uh, much more authority and power to the executive. So these are all the issues, and uh, many of those will be decided by two critical, uh, if you want, uh, magical thresholds. One is the 10% figure, which will determine whether the HDP, the Kurdish party, will clear the threshold and gain parliamentary representation. And the other one is 44%, which is the threshold necessary for, for the ruling party to re-establish a single-party government under the scenario of uh, having the Kurdish party also join the three other uh, political parties uh, that have gained representation. Thanks. That's a great introduction to what's a pretty complicated political process. I'm going to come back to your two scenarios because we have a, a long track record on this podcast of disastrously uh, mispredicting elections. So um, I'm going to allow invite you to join the club. I, I'm sure you won't do as badly as we did on the podcast on the British elections a, a few weeks ago. But before that, Vesa, you've just come back from Turkey yourself. I mean, what, what did you pick up when you were there? And are there... Um, uh, as somebody who, who's who's uh, who knows Turkey well and goes there a lot, but is an outsider, what, what did you kind of feel about the the mood in Turkey at the moment? Uh, yeah, first, uh, 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 as a way of a disclaimer, I would uh, uh, like to say that uh, I think in this uh, podcast, it's uh, uh, there are two people asking questions and one answering them. Uh, so, Sinan, we will be looking for you uh, at you for 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 answers uh, because. I gathered more questions than answers uh, through this uh, trip. The key word for me was uncertainty um, on both sides. Uh, both people who would vote for the um, AK party and people who would vote for uh, the various parts of the opposition uh, said they would do so in order to avoid uncertainty. And this is very interesting to me uh, because I think Turkey got used to uh, easy, clear, predictable elections. And now for the first time, as Sinan uh, very well described, the situation is more complex and is complex at, at various levels. Uh, so. I think Turks uh, who would uh, vote for AK party out of fear for uncertainty uh, would do that because they think that the uh, opposition would not be able uh, either to participate uh, in a constructive manner in a coalition or that uh, um, it would not be able to form uh, a good coalition within uh, the different uh, uh, oppositional parties. And, and those who would vote uh, for, for the opposition, I think, they do it because they fear that um, the authoritarian tendencies uh, um, in uh, this um, AK party led by Erdogan could really bring more problems uh, and, and more uncertainty in uh, in uh, kind of mid, mid to, to long term, uh, people fear that growth uh, has stalled uh, and the fact that this is happening is because of institutional problems, uh, of 
problems uh, related to uh, to rule of law, to transparency, and so on. Uh, and 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 there are obviously also uh, kind of uh, foreign investors and other investors uh, who who are um, who are worried by by this as well. So I think the um, the election um, is going to be more interesting than usual. Um, it will be it it will be very difficult to predict. Also, I think it will be very difficult to predict what will happen in the weeks after the elections, uh, given uh, the two scenarios that Sinan described. And what about the? Because we've heard about the problems of the AK party, but what what are the other apart from the Kurdish party? How are the other parties faring up in 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 this elections? And what do they kind of stand for this time? Uh, well, I think it's a, it should be actually a question to Sinan, but what I want to say, what really impressed me was uh, the uh, uh, HDP um, performance, the Kurdish party performance. Uh, um, not only are they about maybe to enter the Turkish parliament for the first time, but also they now stand this, uh, during these elections for uh, rights, for human rights, for minority rights. Um, almost kind of a liberal platform um, and it seems that it's not only the Kurdish minority they would, that would vote for them um, there, there is also a big, uh, for example, group of urban women who want to vote for them because they think uh, uh, this is uh, the more liberal party they have been waiting for to appear um, it's a uh, young charismatic leader apparently reaches out to a much broader audience than, uh, um, than one would expect. I just want to perhaps uh, complement what uh, Vesela has had to say. Uh, really, a lot of attention uh, in this election uh, was centered on the uh, Kurdish HDP and for good reason. The reason being that a very small shift in political preferences uh, will has the potential uh, to lead to huge differences in post-electoral outcomes, depending on whether the Kurdish party makes it or not. And it is really the only party uh, that can uh, actually have such a, a major impact on uh, the uh, political structure that will emerge after the elections. That's why there's been so much uh, attention centered on them. Uh, and uh, they have, uh, for the, compared to uh, previous years, uh, they are certainly uh, on a track of uh, this time around trying to clear the 10% threshold. And they're looking to get additional votes from uh, two different constituencies. Uh, one is the more liberal constituency of the country. And that is the reason why uh, HDP has been trying to shed away its image as a purely ethnic party uh, with a heavy focus on Kurdish rights. And uh, instead, uh, they have come to develop a rhetoric uh, embracing uh, a more uh, pro-democracy agenda rather than being restricted on uh, minority rights. So is that where the where all of the kind of Gezi Park protesters have, have ended up? 
Absolutely. That's why they have been able to capitalize on some of that, you know, Gezi Park uh, movement uh, and its heritage. Uh, that's one part. Uh, the other part uh, of the uh, vote water pool that they have targeted is the uh, Kurdish constituency that traditionally votes for AKP. Uh, that's a constituency that has uh, more conservative slash Islamic inclinations. Uh, so the Kurdish vote in Turkey is uh, traditionally divided uh, between these two poles. The more secular, uh, the more liberal vote uh, of the Kurdish uh, going to the, uh, and more nationalist even, uh, to the Kurdish party and the more conservative uh, Islamists going to AKP. But uh, now the Kurdish party needs to pull more of that vote, so that's the second pool that they have targeted. Um, in terms of the performance of the other parties, uh, a lot of the debate, as I said, has focused on what the Kurdish party will achieve yeah. and so uh, what the ruling party will get in terms of support, because that's a parameter uh, also that will demonstrate uh, even after all this difficult uh, period uh, how much support the uh, party continues to receive and also how much uh, support President Erdogan continues to receive given that he has fully backed uh, his former party. Uh, but having said that, uh, the main there is also something I think to underline in relation to the performance of the main opposition center-left CHP, which uh, for, the, uh, for many years now um, has uh, not had not been able to demonstrate uh, its true colors uh, being divided in terms of what it represents. But this time around, they have come out strongly uh, as a uh, social as a social democratic party uh, with a European tradition. Uh, so they have uh, left behind them uh, that heritage of being much more statu quo, of, of being much more sovereignist or statist uh, in the Turkish context. And they have really adopted a much more uh, European type uh, social democratic rhetoric with a heavy focus on the economy. And has, uh, it, has it helped them? How many, what percentage of votes are they predicted to get? It has helped them to some extent, but of course their difficulty is that many people who would now have a tendency to vote for them with their updated rhetoric uh, tends or would nonetheless uh, end up voting for the Kurdish party uh, for tactical purposes. Because uh, as, as we discussed, you know, many of Turkey's liberal constituency want HDP uh, to clear the threshold that may not necessarily mean that uh, they are fully invested in the cause of the HDP, but nonetheless they want them to clear the threshold uh, as a way to limit the influence of both Erdogan and the ruling AK party. So uh, CHP may end up losing some of that vote to HDP for tactical purposes, but that's the reason why perhaps the, uh, the incremental vote that they would expect to get from their updated platform uh, may not be there. So I'd like to pivot quite soon to in the remaining time to talking about what the international implications of this are. But before we do that, it's your chance to to be wrong um, and for history to record it. Well, it. Both of you, if you had to give put figures on the 
AK Party, the CHP, and the HDP. What what uh, what do you think is going to happen, Sinan? Do you want to dip your feet in the water first? Yes, absolutely. Time to shame myself. <laughs> uh, my uh, prognostic, uh, my uh, would be that HDP uh, will clear the threshold, uh, so they will get somewhere between ten and eleven percent. Uh, AKP end up getting somewhat less than 44%, so between 42-43, the end result of which uh, would be a coalition government for Turkey, uh, which is uh, something very new after 13 years of single-party government. So a coalition between the AK party and the HDP? Not necessarily. Uh, there, you know, that's a different discussion. Uh, it can be between AK and the Nationalist MHP. Uh, the Kurdish party today, as we speak, stated that they will not do a coalition with AKP. So the only party really that has not totally ruled out a coalition is the uh, main opposition party, CHP. But that is somewhat incongruent uh, to Turkish political culture to see a grand coalition in the style of Germany or UK emerging out of this. Okay, Vesla, do you, do, you, do you want to make a prediction? For the sake of having a different prediction, I would say um, AKP is going to get a majority in so that it can uh, have a government on its own, uh, but, uh, but not enough for a constitutional change. Uh, this is going to be a challenge, I think, uh, for the president, because... Uh, he will have less influence uh, to um, to exert on uh, Prime Minister Davutoglu, and this will be an interesting moment as well to see how this party is going to develop internally and whether there will be an alter alternative centre of power. But also uh, because I I think that's important for Turkey, and because I hope it happens, I will. Um, support Sinan in the prediction that the HDP is going to make it. And while you have the, the floor, Vesa, do you want to have maybe launch the discussion about what the Turkish election means for, for the rest of the world and for Turkish foreign policy? I mean, there are lots of different elements to this. There's the, the Europe and the EU thing. There's the relationship with the US. But most importantly, I suppose, is, is Turkey as a regional power and the relationship that it has with its neighbours. Yes, I... I have learned in Turkey some time ago this beautiful phrase, uh, the honorable solitude. Um, and that is how uh, the AKP describes uh, its foreign policy position after uh, the failure of the government uh, in, the mid in the broader Middle East or the ser series of, uh, of failures, um, which they don't obviously see them this way, but... Uh, this uh, this uh, honourable solitude means that Turkey does what it has to do, even though others do not understand it and do not support it. Uh, but it can um, it can sustain its course on its own, uh, and it's and this in its own it can be a goal because it it means consistency. Um, I think this is going to be very difficult to sustain uh, if there is a coalition government uh, for very obvious reasons. I think also having a Kurdish party in parliament is going to change the dynamics uh, towards the Middle East. 
uh, and obviously towards the, the Kurdish issue uh, itself, uh, which uh, influences uh, also Turkish foreign policy in, in its neighborhood. Um, it is going to be interesting to see who is going to have the say on foreign policy, whether it will continue to be the president or maybe the former foreign minister, who is now prime minister, is going to have the stronger word on it and uh, uh, what difference this will make. I think that if our party, as uh, stated by Vesela, uh, happens to win yet another uh, simple majority, albeit uh, with a thin margin, uh, that would essentially mean uh, more continuity for Turkish foreign policy uh, with the caveat that uh, Turkey has been trying uh, more recently to recalibrate uh, its foreign policy away from this position of uh, precious isolation because policymakers in Ankara, uh, especially the AKP leadership, is aware of uh, the score sheet of Turkish foreign policy after especially 2011. So there has been recently an effort to recalibrate some of this uh, with a uh, political understanding with Europe about deepening of the customs union, with an agreement with the US uh, on train and equip uh, program for Syria, uh, and with a real effort to mend the relationship with uh, Saudi Arabia in the region, a relationship uh, that was under stress as a result of uh, the Turkish government's support to the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. So I would expect some of that to continue of this you know, effort for recalibration. However, if uh, there is uh, another structure, uh, especially if there is uh, any sort of coalition government emerging, then this recalibration uh, will be at a faster pace, and in particular concerning Turkey's position in the Middle East, uh, the country's position towards uh, Syria, which uh, the, which has been the component of foreign policy that's been most heavily criticized by all, almost all opposition parties. So this is where we shall see uh, most of the uh, fast transition happening uh, on uh, regarding uh, overall Turkish foreign policy. And how will the election play into that? Because, you know, one of the consistent narratives in the Western media has been about the Putinization of Turkey and the kind of centralization of power around Erdogan. Um, how, how fair do you think uh, the elections will appear to be? Do you think there'll be a lot of criticism from the outside world on that? Could that sour relations in the immediate aftermath? Well, because this is an election that will be uh, so strongly contested and, you know, small shifts in the vote can lead to huge differences, there has been speculation that this provides uh, incent higher incentives for uh, vote rigging and so on. Uh, but really, Turkey has a tradition of uh, at least doing the elections in the right way. Uh, and uh, right, uh, the, the opposition parties are also aware of this risk. Uh, they uh, seem to be intent on controlling the ballot box. Uh, there are also uh, non-governmental organizations in Turkey that have taken an interest in that. So I don't think that that in itself will be a major issue. Uh, 
the more fundamental issue in relation to Turkey's uh, image abroad, uh, perception uh, of its leadership, will be whether these elections will lead to an outcome that will strengthen the role of institutions, whether it's on the side of economic policy making with the central bank or on the foreign policy with the foreign ministry, or whether it will tend to concentrate even more power uh, under the uh, mantle of the presidency uh, and therefore uh, really erode the, uh, the role, the effectiveness of institutions. Thank you very much. Vesa, do you want to say a last word on what you think uh, this means for, for Europe and what European Union should do after the elections? I think the European Union should, uh, in a way, stop pretending that it's negotiating if Turkey does not feel uh, it wants to continue pretending it's a, it's a candidate for membership. Uh, but I think there is a very big avenue for cooperation, uh, as Sinan mentioned, on customs union, on TTIP, on energy. Uh, hopefully there will be some progress uh, on this as well. Um, and uh, we are at a point where uh, Europe needs Turkey and, uh, um, and, and I think Europe should acknowledge that. Also, when we speak about migration, and, and refugees, uh, we should not forget that really Turkey holds more than 2 million uh, of uh, Syrian and other refugees. Um, and, uh, and this is something Europe uh, should be very, very much aware of when we also talk about the refugee crisis in the Mediterranean. Thank you very much. Well, that, that was a fascinating discussion. We'll all wait and see what happens on, on Sunday and, and uh, whether your predictions are better than the ones that we made on other elections. I assume, Mark, that you will take this off the air if my predictions don't happen to be correct, right? That's unfortunately <laughs> beyond my power. Your predictions will be there well, for, for, for eternity. Can't hold it against me in the future. <laughs> um, We've got one uh, segment left in this podcast, which is the bookshelf um, segment, where we um, talk about what we're reading at the moment for, for any recommendations. Uh, Vesla, what's on your bookshelf at the moment? Um, actually, I have been going through this uh, Christopher Hitchens uh, book on Cyprus, uh, thinking about uh, what is happening on Cyprus, uh, on the Cyprus uh, issue now and what should be happening in the future and whether it's that hopeless or not. Uh, but I think this is also something which is related to uh, to Turkey's uh, future and to to European and Turkish foreign policy. What about you, Sinan? Is there anything that you're reading which you'd like to recommend? Uh, absolutely, although it has no bearing on the, uh, on the Turkish election thing. Uh, I have been reading a book by a wired uh, editor uh, or author uh, and uh, about Stuxnet. Um, it's called uh, Zero Day Exploit uh, Stuxnet and really tells uh, the story of how Stuxnet was created, what it has accomplished, uh, and uh, what it means for the future uh, of both uh, the cyber domain, but in general more for you know the, how cyber weapons are used and how it's going to affect uh, the future of international relations. Uh, very fascinating. Sounds amazing. 
So I'm going to do a bit of log rolling on your behalf, Sinan. And um, I read uh, a brilliant briefing on the elections called Turkey's Game-Changing Elections by Sinan and his colleague Mark Purini at, at the Carnegie Endowment. Uh, which is, uh, I think, available on the Carnegie Endowment's website. So there are links to all the publications that we mentioned on our website, which is www.ecfr.eu slash podcast. And that brings to an end a fascinating discussion um, from Sinan Organ in Istanbul, from Vesta Chenova in Sofia, and from me, Mark Leonard, in London. It's goodbye for now. The editor of ECFR's podcast is Katerina Botel. <laughs>